Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 5. Today, we'll be interviewing a very special guest, Dr. Richard Waithe. Dr. Waithe is the founder of the podcast, RX Radio. Be sure to check out his podcast and give it a quick listen, as it does a great job providing some quality pharmacy-related content. He is also the president of VUCA Health, and with him we'll be talking about his career progression and we'll be touching on the topic of digital health. Without further ado, please welcome Dr. Richard Waithe, who will be interviewed by both Riley and Jobin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. This is your host, Jovan Lazo. I'm a 3PD at the UF College of Pharmacy campus in Orlando. Hi, I'm Riley O'Donnell. I'm also a 3PD at the Orlando campus. And today we have a very, very, very special guest, Dr. Richard Waite. And he's here going to be discussing with us about Buka Health, about his brand and his story. So please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Um, so just a little bit of background about myself. Uh, I went to pharmacy school at the University of Florida at the Orlando campus. And uh, I had a lot of leadership positions on campus there. I was really involved. Um, I was part of Kappa Psi, uh, PLS. Um, I was the president of my class there. And um, I got my career started actually with uh, Target Pharmacy. I was an intern with them. Um, interned with them throughout school. And then when I graduated, I, I um, went to be a pharmacy manager with them. And then there was a transition with CVS, which um, I stayed on board with in transitioning our stores. Uh, and then went to Publix Pharmacy um, before coming into my current role uh, with uh, as president of VUCA Health. Uh, bef- during a lot of that time that I was a community pharmacist, I was um, getting into private MTM. I started a company called Medvise, which was essentially private MTM. Per- I called it personal medication management. And then I also founded RX Radio, which is essentially a pod. It's it's really rooted in a podcast um, that interviews other pharmacists in, in different fields and exploring the way pharmacists have an impact on healthcare. Uh, it's since kind of turned into a kind of like a media company that's just uh, creating articles, sharing articles, um, creating a lot of social media content as well. So um, just in a nutshell, that's basically, it's uh, basically me. Okay. And then how, how exactly did you create the was Medvi? Is that what yeah. you said it was? How exactly did you create that? So I, I had no, I think I've always been business minded, you know, even throughout high school. Like I was one of those kids that I would sell candy like in class and stuff. Um, so I always had that business mindset, but I never really knew like officially like how to like start a business. Right. So it was actually in my, um, my fourth year in pharmacy school that I started realizing when I went on to rotations, how like how much patients were not educated about their prescriptions. And I really started to see like firsthand, like I always knew obviously pharmacists were important um, and, you know, we had an important role to play, but I just, on rotations, I got firsthand experience of like how no matter whether s- someone was poor and potentially homeless or owned a private jet, that health literacy was a big problem in society. And I wanted to create a way to, to fix that. And I felt that one of the, one of the best ways to do it would be creating, um, a, a private MTM consulting company. But again, not knowing anything about business, I had to, I just literally went on Google and YouTube and just started search, like literally typing in, how do I start a business? And I had to learn about all the different ways to incorporate using an, whether it be an LLC, a partnership. Uh, I looked into the, the potential need to trademark, um, copyright, all those types of things I actually learned how to, I didn't learn how to code necessarily, but I got really proficient with something called the WordPress, which allowed me to kind of um, kind of drag and drop a and with learning like just really, really basic understanding of code, how to create a website. So I had to do all that just kind of literally using Google trial and error, a lot of late nights up. And from there, I just started building the experience and learning and then learned how to market and then just started, you know, trying to trying to find customers essentially. But. Um, so, but the, the short answer though, after that long winded answer is Google, Google was ha- what helped me start that business. <laughs> Would you say for, so for other students who may be thinking of, you know, going in, in an avenue in the business, you know, business mindset with pharmacy, what would you suggest to them? Or like, what do you wish, I guess, that you would have known prior hand if you were to go back and do that again? Cause you said it was during your fourth year, I believe on your rotation. Mm-hmm. 
in pharmacy school, is there anything you would suggest to students now if they were kind of thinking in that same direction for themselves? What could help them? Yeah, so I, I think one important thing to realize about business and especially about being an entrepreneur is that we get fed a lot that that's the key to things and that, you know, it's the way for us to do that, what we want to do. But in reality, I think it actually takes a certain type of person to be an entrepreneur because, and to start a business because it is extremely difficult. I mean, even that business that we just talked about, like it did not work out, you know, and, and it was not a, by any means, any form of a successful business in terms of, you know, cash flow positive and, you know, someone being able to pay all their bills and, and, you know, have quit their full-time job. That, that was not that type of business. It was something that was kind of bootstrapped from the ground up. That was, um, you know, mm-hmm. not in by any means, some sort of, you know, wasn't like the success of Instagram, you know? So <laughs> it, one thing to realize is that it's extremely difficult. And then to just reflect on, you know, do you, is that something that you really want to do is, is owning a business something that is truly, what you want to do because you can accomplish a lot of the your goals and you can have a, a great impact on healthcare without the need to start your own business. So I think that step one is to just first realize, is that something that you really want to do? Realizing the feet in the mountain that you have ahead of you to climb to be able to actually have a successful business. Uh, other than that, it's just realizing that you don't need an MBA to start a business. So like, let's just say that you are that you've, you did that self-reflection you realize, okay, I definitely want to do this. Like I'm, I need to start my own business. Like there's no other option. Realize that you don't need an MBA to do that. You can just literally like I did hop on Google and just start doing as much research, spending hours a day researching what it takes to get that started. Um, and then just going from there. Yeah. I was, I was literally about to ask you. So, you just felt there was no need for you to go or apply for the, um, like the farm, the MBA, because I know our school offers that or UF offers that, excuse me. Yeah. So I, I did not. Um, and I also didn't go into pharmacy school thinking that, you know, I need to get an MBA because I'm definitely going to do my own business. Like that wasn't my angle. I, I, I went to pharmacy school cause I wanted to be a pharmacist. I, I didn't, I thought I was just going to be a, a community pharmacist. Like that was kind of like the initial goal when I came to school. Um, I, I did not foresee the path that I'm on now, honestly. Um, now, it's not to say that now I do want to put a little asterisk, say you don't need an MBA to start a business, but it's not to say that MBA is not helpful. Um, a lot of yeah. people find value in an MBA, um, but a lot of times an MBA is helpful for when you want to take corporate positions um, in, uh, you know, in large corporations. So a lot of times like, you know, it's funny because it's a master in business administration, but it's not necessarily a master in owning your own business. So, and I think realizing that there's a difference there um, and then that, that there's also value in an MBA, especially if you want to go into the, into a lot of different corporate roles. Um, a lot of those roles will even require it or it'll just, you know, make you look way more um, attractive. But no one, when you're starting a business, no one's going to ask you like, you know, where's your MBA because it's your own business. So. And then. As you were saying earlier, you started off thinking basically you wanted to be a pharmacist. That's why you're in pharmacy school, most likely retail. And then through, I'm assuming your kippy and hippies and your rotations, you realized that there was a big gap in care as far as what patients understand is happening. Patients understanding what's going on, their health literacy. So can you kind of explain how that came about? Was it on those rotational experiences? that you realized this gap was occurring? Was it through multiple, your personal experiences with patients that they really were not understanding what maybe the doctor or what maybe the pharmacist that was present was presenting to them? Yeah, so that's a great question. It, it really became apparent in my fourth year when I was on my APP rotations. And it was because I was, it, it was, I almost clearly remember the, the rotation. It was a hospital rotation that, was uh, was trying to improve their HCAP scores, um, which for those that don't know, you know, if, if you're listening and, and you don't have experience in, into like health system, HCAPs are basically a survey that uh, patients take uh, about the care that they received in the hospital. And these survey scores actually can um, have an impact on reimbursements that hospitals get. Um, and, and it also plays into factors about how the hospital scored and things like that. So um, the hospital I was with, they wanted to try to improve that. And part of that health, part of that HCAP survey is about did 
this hospital or did healthcare providers in this hospital talk to you about your medications and about the side effects and things like that. So they sent me, the student, to go and talk to literally like they'll give me a floor. They'll say, go to floor four. And we want you to walk into every single room and tell them that you're there to just talk to them about their medications. And in doing that, I just started to really get firsthand experience that like, you know, they they might have had something mentioned to them, but they didn't understand it or they didn't know why. And there, there was just I started to really realize firsthand that there was just so many gaps in health literacy. And it just really reinvigorated my want to like help people and to and to really use the skills that I've, I developed in pharmacy school and my communication skills and my education to just really try to help these people improve their outcomes by improving their health literacy. And you felt like that was your purpose. Yeah. I mean, like, I think purpose changes over time in terms of like mm-hmm. your vehicle of how you're fulfilling your purpose. But I think my, my purpose, I think, has always been to help people. And I think there's been times that that the vehicle has changed where sometimes it's in healthcare, sometimes it's in marketing, um, you know, like it's forming into marketing and business and things like that. But I think that my purpose has always been to help people. And then just I think I was lucky enough to find that pharmacy was a great vehicle to do that in where I can, you know, become a master at medications essentially by becoming a pharmacist. And then with my communication skills, be able to educate the patients and helping them understand their medications and improving their health care. Did you find in that experience in your rotations, you know, when you're personally going into the patient rooms and, and talking to them, did you can you just explain some of the feedback that you got from the patients? Like, were they, you know, when you're realizing that there is this discrepancy between their understanding on what they're taking or how it's working for them and really understanding what's going on for their own health care, you know, when you were able to explain to them, like, did you see positive feedback that they were like really happy that you were able to come in there and explain that? Or like, what was the perception from the patients? So it's funny that you asked that because at first, when you first started asking, like, even for me to reflect back, I start, I immediately thought, I'm like, yo, this was in 2013. Like, I'm not going to remember this, you know, but, um, <laughs> but like, what's funny is I could actually clearly, I have a clear memory of the gratitude that the patients had for, for, for me taking the time and, and which is, which is obviously not common. You know, it's not easy because I was a student there that was not on the payroll of the hospital. And I was, I was super passionate to do this because, you know, I had nothing else to do. I was on rotation. Right. But after the conversations with a lot of patients, the gratitude that they had in just taking the time to explain it and just really make sure that they understood it, not checking a box to say, hey, I'm here to talk to you about medications. OK, you got it. Great. And then run out of the door. Like I was in there to really make sure that they understood what was happening. And the only thing that I can clearly remember was the gratitude that the patients had. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not asking you to clearly quote. I know that's a little <laughs> while ago. Um, I guess too, with, so with an experience like that, like you said, you were the student at the time. So not being on the payroll, like you were going in there for that specific purpose and you can spend a lot of time with a patient in particular and, and really get all their um, questions answered and everything. Do you think in the healthcare system like we have today, do you do you think interactions like that are best suited, you know, for students who are in school and learning, or do you think there is a possibility to really incorporate, um, you know, the working pharmacist with experience to have more time to be able to do activities like that, or do you think it should really remain, you know, an opportunity for students who are newer to the profession to be able to have those experiences? Um, what are your thoughts on that? So that's an interesting question because. I think there's a there's a benefit for it to be both. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that it should be restrained for one or the other. I think if anything, there'd be an ideal of the balance because a lot of times when pharmacists, especially pharmacists like myself, get into a role and, you know, if we can't do, especially if we're in the hospital setting, if we can't do what we're passionate about doing, which is, you know, if, if your, your particular passion is about educating the patients, and, you know, your the leadership at your health system says, no, 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 no. This is only reserved for, stu- reserved for students. Like that's not going to be a great, you know, motivation for that pharmacist to be fulfilled in their in their position. So um, because of that, I, I wouldn't say it should be, um, you know, restricted one way or the other. Um, but I, on the same token, it's a great opportunity for the students to uh, go and speak and get that experience talking to the patients and seeing the impact that they could have. Um, and then what happens is if they get, you know, if they love doing that and they, they get reinvi- their passion gets reinvigorated there, 
And then, you know, if they go to be into role and they can't do it, I mean, it's just it's a bad cycle that you can create. So um, I definitely think there should be um, a promote a promoting of both of the, the students and the professionals being a part of that education. Yeah, and I'm sure too with students, I mean, obviously we're not going to know everything as much as the experienced pharmacist would. So we also need the expertise from the working pharmacist in order to come in um, and clarify any things that we might not have all the knowledge on as a student. So. Yeah, exactly. All right, so one question I have about your story was I noticed on, I believe it was your LinkedIn or CV I read that you were a junior editor at VUCA Health. Yes. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk about the progression that you had starting off there and then becoming the president. Yeah, so um, the, the story is pretty cool. So I, when I was at UF, um, I, I believe I was a, uh, a third year was when this um, – when the company was just starting up, it was basically a startup back then. And they wanted to uh, hire students to help create the content. So um, at least start the content and then the clinical pharmacist would then um, either finish it off or review the draft and just make sure it's clinically accurate. And, and when they were hiring those students, they reached out to, to our campus. And I was one of the students that, um, that responded saying that I wanted to do this. And Honestly, I mean, at the time, I obviously had no idea what the future would look like for me, but I just thought, oh, you know, I'm a poor student that has loans. Um, I need to make some extra money and then I could do this like, you know, kind of from home. And it was it was kind of like a remote job. And and then it would help me learn, like, obviously, you know, better my communication skills and help me learn about drugs. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, this is just an ideal job for a student. So I took it. And um you know, as I started to meet with the leaders of the company and I started to get really intrigued by the potential of the content that they were building um, for what, you know, what could happen with the um, for what could happen with the company. And I actually think, which is funny, it was a, that that was really the time that I really started to hone in on, like, I think that business was going to be something for me. So I think the CEO at the time uh, heard that I had an idea, like I was talking to him about an idea I had and, and he basically was like, write a business plan for it. And I was like, like in my mind, I was like, wait, what? Like, I've never done that, you know? So again, I had to, that was like one of my initial times of like, I got to go to Google and figure out how the hell to write a business plan, um, which I think that was the first business plan I wrote was just for like some random idea that I don't think went anywhere. I don't like, I can't remember it went anywhere, but I think that the fact that I was so kind of like willing to do and to like have ideas about, about uh, ways the company can like directions the company can either go in or, or initiatives a company can take on. I think that might've planted a seed, um, in the founder's mind, um, which kind of, I think led to the potential for my being considered for the role that I'm in now. Um, I only did that for a couple of years. When I say I, I only was a junior editor for a couple of years, um, until they kind of built out the library, um, and didn't really need any, um, you know, students to, to, to stay on board to edit. And that's kind of when uh, around the time that I kind of went off on my own doing um, being a community pharmacist, uh, getting big in digital media production. And, you know, I, I've never I can't really speak to exactly why, but I think just having that mindset and that passion and my, my communication skills and my leadership abilities, I think, was what really played a, a role in just my being considered um, for being president and, and why they kind of brought me back in, into role. So um, and it's been about a year and a half now and it's been going great. So. So what are the some activities that you do as president? So in my current role now, I mean, I wear so many hats. It's hard to it's hard to like specifically give, um, you know, like exact days, day to days, which is a lot of times what people are, are curious about. Um, but one of the roles that I have, it really will depend on like, is it Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? Right. So um a couple of things that I'll do is uh, marketing initiatives. So I'll say, okay, like what, what's our current messaging and how are we positioning our product in the marketplace? And I'll try to see is, is our marketing initiatives and marketing material. Is it, is that up to par with how we want to deliver those messages? Um, so I'll review things like that and make changes and make recommendations, reach out to, um, you know, a marketing agency to help develop materials. Um, so that's one way and that's just to grow the business. Um, Mm -hmm. Another role I'll have is to, or another activity I'll have is responding to, um, you know, account management questions. So let's say someone wants to clarify something in, in a contract that we have with a partner. 
um, I might be the one to, you know, review that and make any decisions as to whether we, we might be changing something in the contract um, uh, or even proposing something new. Let's say that uh, meeting with a company to do a business review and they want to explore how they're currently using videos. I might one of my activities might be just coming up with ways that they can, you know, better utilize our videos or, or create um, adherence or create um, patient engagement initiatives and figure out how, how our technology would work. Um, with those platforms. Um, so would you say the higher up within, within VUCA Health, the higher up you've gone, the less pharmacy knowledge you've been using? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I am on the content team, so I do review some of our content, but, uh, I can't say it's a, it's a major part of, uh, of my day to day. I do what I, one of the main parts I have, though, in, in our content creation is uh, the direction of how we want to take the content. Um, uh, one of those examples being that we want I want to start creating more um, pediatric uh, content for like uh, uh, caregivers that are taking care of kids, um, because most of our uh-huh. content is fairly generic now where it's just, you know, educating someone, let's say, about about lisinopril and how, you know, works with, you know, uh, improving blood pressure and things like that. But I want to talk about, I want to have videos that are talking to a parent that potentially has a kid that's sick and, and anything that might be significantly different for that parent taking care of that child and taking a specific medication. Um, we're also going to be doing, you know, for example, in our one of the upcoming shoots, we're going to do more uh, drugs that um, enhance fertility in women. Uh, so just making those kind of clinical decisions about, you know, which direction we should take our content. But uh, we do have a content team of pharmacists um, that I lead that that create the content, um, which is more on the clinical side of things. So my, as, but yeah, you're right. As going from kind of junior editor to the current role I'm in now, I mean, it's definitely significant less, uh, clinical use of my, um, my time, I would say. All right. And so we've been talking about VUCA health and, and digital health a lot. And I was just wondering, could you explain what digital health is to our listeners out there? So digital health is uh, anything that has to do with mixing technology and healthcare. I mean, it comes in so many different forms um, now. I mean, some people might even say, I mean, you know, this is, a, this is a little bit like really forward thinking, but all health right now at some form is digital, you know, in, in some way or another. So, I mean, whether it be uh, mobile applications that are promoting health literacy or whether it be... Uh, you know, artificial intelligence tools that providers are using to better make clinical decisions. Um, I think digital health is is in every part of healthcare that we are currently doing now. Um, I would say though that in in the mainstream of what people think of it as is is new technologies that are promoting uh, access to healthcare is probably um, the best way to describe it in the in the sense that people will hear it today. Well, I know that you talked about too. So we heard you speak. Um in our career day this year with UF. And I know too, you had talked a little bit about those new technologies that could possibly be used for specific patient care. Um, do you mind elaborating just on some of those examples that we heard you discuss during that talk as well? Sure. So one of the, um, one of the things I'm most excited about uh, in terms of uh, the future of digital health is, is access to information and uh, like how, how much information will be at our fingertips. And I think one of the bigger players that's going to play a role in that is the Alexa device. Uh, so that was one thing that I highlighted um, in that talk was how uh, Alexa devices were going to provide a, a much easier way to for patients to access care. Um, because if you look at a regular Echo Dot, it's like um, $30 versus an iPhone is like 1000 um, plus, it's a lot easier to use because p- patients, all they have to do is really know how to talk um, instead of, you know, operate and, and um, manipulate apps on an iPhone. So I think that's yeah. a very, very um, promising thing that I see for the future. Um, in terms of what what we do um, at VUCA Health is we create, um, so, you know, we, we've kind of briefed over that we create content, um, you know, for, for patients and, but we create medicate our, our core competency is creating medication education videos, uh, which are short videos, usually two minutes in length, um, in both English and Spanish. And, uh, really just trying to supplement the current care that patients are getting to help them better understand their medications and their healthcare. And what we do with these videos is we try to find, um, ways to, uh, and how to deliver that best to patients. So, 
Sometimes it might be through a mobile app. Uh, it might be on a patient portal that they get access to. Um, sometimes it'll be on a, uh, they can get access to a QR code that's on the patient's label uh, that gives them access to patient ed sheets and med guides and, and that video as well. Um, but uh, but there's, there's definitely a lot of um, exciting things about the future of digital health and what's coming and, and all the different automation tools that are coming to help pharmacists better provide care. So it's, a, it's definitely a really exciting time. And how would you say as students we can be proactive to kind of execute or adapt this vision that you have for the future in pharmacy and digital health? So I think the best way to adapt is to welcome it. Um, and, and try not to have the, your guard up. Now, I think there's always a, a great balance that has to happen in, in, in anything, whether it be politics, healthcare, any, anything, there, there's a balance is always good. So people who have, you know, a, a vision as to like trying to figure out what's wrong with everything is helpful while also people that are trying to figure out why everything is great. That's new is, is, um, is helpful as well. Um, but I think the biggest, um, I think the biggest way to adapt is just to let your guard down to welcome it and to understand that there's there's never been a time that technology is halted. So just even from a pure, mm-hmm. just from a purely, you know, that just understanding that there's nothing you can really do about it. Unfortunately, like technology is just it's going to advance whether you think it's right or not. It's going to advance. So being on and the this, uh, on the uh huh. I was going to say, like, this is that era. Like, right now, you know, like back in the day, there was the agri- agricultural and industrial revolution, and right now it's technology. And so just, like, as you said, in the words of accepting it, that's yeah. probably the best. And, and it's always going to be there. There's, I mean, you know, you could look out very far into the future where there's just, you know, we've, we've reached a real capacity of technology potentially because of, like, the advancements in AI. But in reality, there's always going to be, in our lifetimes, there's always going to be a time and a wave of new technology that's coming. And there's not going to be a real, like, way to stop it because at the end of the day, technology is always there to help and to better things. And, um, and, and as long as it's doing that, that means it's not going to stop. So just being able to understand that, like, it's going to happen, but then realizing, okay, how do I use it to my advantage? Um, you know, one of the one of the things that people are fearful about is, you know, is is the fact that it could potentially, you know, replace your your job. But at the end of the day, Google was has been invented. I, I, I hate to keep bringing up Google. <laughs> um, it's probably the third time <laughs> right now. But at the end of the day, like Google has all the information about medicine. You know, like if you can just get access to, you know, the likes of Lexicomp or Micromedics, an individual would have access to all the information. But what people have to understand is, is that just having information is not in itself going to replace anyone. Now it's now it's becoming a game of what do we do with this information? And that's where the that's where the human and the clinical profession uh, professionals need to really step up and realizing that and not being fearful that technology is taking over or potentially replacing their jobs, but it's more so like, what are we going to do now that we have all this information at our fingertips? What are we going to do now that we have all this automation at our fingertips? How can we better healthcare using our, our judgment, our clinical judgment, our, our human skills, um, things that have not been uh, able to be replicated using technology yet? When you talk about people being fearful of it and, and maybe a little scared of that change with how much we use technology now and how much we probably will continue to do so in the future in our profession. Do you see that fear coming mostly from the pharmacist side, you know, about job security, or do you see it also at the patient side? Like, would you notice, would you say um, if patients maybe have a preference one way or the other, you know, if technology is more um, integrated into how their healthcare is and how they're being taken care of? Um, And then also with that question, you know, do you think though that, like you said, the accepting part of it is outweighing the fear. And and to touch a little more, the other aspects of pharmacy that could be affected, such as technicians and other positions that are in within a community setting or in a hospital setting. So it's a, a little bit loaded to try to answer everything there. But uh, from what I could remember, the initial question was just that, like, how patients would how patients are responding. So. 
in terms of healthcare. So just I'll try to do point by point here. So I've never really yeah. heard in mass that patients don't like technology and helping them with their healthcare. Uh, I have sometimes heard, especially from like older patients that, you know, they still want to come in and see someone, um, you know, they still want to talk to a human uh, in certain cases. That's definitely, um, you know, a, a thing in terms of like, it's definitely out there and present. But as as we get more and more used to technology, if you think about especially our generation, which our generation is the ones that, you know, people in school now are eventually going to be caring for at some point. And and a lot of times the way technology works is as the younger generation adopts technology, older generations end up following. Just look at like Facebook and Instagram, for example. It used to be young teenagers on it, but now like like grandmas are on there. So um, we have to understand that the, our generation, we a lot of times we don't want to talk to people or we want things to be done much more quicker than they are currently being done. And I think that that's going to be more and more welcomed as as technology starts to advance and as, you know, our generation starts to become older and need healthcare, I think we're going to more so welcome the fact that like, yeah, we still love the human element, but for most things that happen in healthcare, I would prefer it to be automated and quick and, and on my, and on like my time, not on someone else's time. Um, and also be more convenient for them probably. Yeah. It'll be more convenient. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I remember, I had a conversation when I was a, a community pharmacist at Publix that they, she was so happy that Instacart was a thing because her, her trip to the, to the pharmacy and to the grocery, let's just say she wanted milk or whatever bread. Like it was such a difficult task for her to get out of her house into a car, drive, get here, park the car, get out of the car, rent a, um, you know, rent one of the scooter things cause it was hard for her to get around. Like that's a huge task for her to come to the, to the, to Publix to get something. She was super excited to hear about Instacart and the fact that she could have everything delivered because it was just made her life so much easier. So, you know, I think things like that is what is, what's going to drive um, and, and enable the technology to become, um, to become like, you know, mainstream and to become something that we're used to and that we expect. Um, now I, because I think I got, it was like five questions before this one. What, what were the other <laughs> topics that you wanted me to touch on just there? And in, in that, in that also one question. Also from the pharmacist perspective, like you mentioned. The pharmacy technician. Yeah, pharmacy, pharmacist and pharmacy technician from the work environment. How would that also impact that? So for the most part, I think that the technology when I think about like technicians and pharmacists and like day to day, you know, we're thinking about the normal community pharmacist. That, that's what I think of. And mm-hmm. what I, what I think happens there is that it, because it just, I think we're going to look back at, at a time like this and realize it's, it was un, it was such a waste of our time to actually be counting pills with our hands and then handing it to patients. Like, I think that's going to, I think we're going to find that to have been a, a, a really big waste of our time. Um, especially Mm -hmm. when, when the technology is there to automate all of that. And I think there's a, there's a, a connection that a lot of, a lot of pharmacists have with trying to be the gatekeepers and, and the, you know, between a patient and their medication, um, which, which is, which is understandable because, you know, medications are extremely dangerous. And as pharmacists, we obviously know that it's our role to make sure that Patients are taking medication that's safe for them. You know, it's it's right for them. It's going to help them improve their health. But I think the I think our grasp with the the need for us to be the gatekeepers of it, I think, has to break because it's being commoditized as we speak. I mean, if you look at pill pack, if you look at just even the patients want and the patients needs, you know, um, in terms of they want it extremely fast. They don't care who they get it from. They want it fast and they want it cheap. We really need to break away from that because we're 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 div- because we're we're tying ourselves to that commoditized process. We're devaluing mm-hmm. our our worth, right? Which I've never actually I don't think I've ever actually like put that all together. It just kind of came to me right now that you know we're we're trying to stay stuck to this thing where a patient just shows up to somewhere like you know because they, they their doctor said to just go there and then expect to get something in twenty minutes and walk out the door we are trying to tie the crazy value that we can bring to healthcare to that process. And that might be devaluing our worth. So I think as we can, 
as we break away from that and, and understand that we don't have to always be the gatekeepers of that, I think it allows us to better show our value and to better it's better it's better for our time to utilize the passion that we have to help these people and help them understand their medications and help or or even use that time to help other clinicians make better decisions because we're starting to see now that as the amount of information that comes out and the amount of new the amount of new drugs that come out other clinicians are relying on pharmacists to help them make better decisions so we need to be able to free our time up to do that i do want to clarify something though about like this whole like being the gatekeeper thing though like if you want to own a pharmacy and or if you want to operate a pharmacy your 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 dispensing of medications should be as automated as possible. Your owning a pharmacy should be because you want to provide the best care to a patient around making sure that the medications for them are safe, effective, it's for them. Like that should be to me that's what the priority is and just serving them in any other needs that they have with like whether it be with OTC and medical devices and other things of that nature. But your need to like actually be the one to package the medications and to do all that manual labor that can easily be automated, I think the technology of that should be welcome to free up your time to better take care of these people that are coming to your pharmacy. What I think that's also going to, what I think that the technology is going to also bring is the realization that technicians can also do more. And I think, you know, we're seeing states that are looking at laws that are, that are passing, which is called like check um, tech, check tech, where, you know, yeah. on, on a refill, a technician can check another technician's work and then that medication gets dispensed, um, which mm-hmm. it's not hard. Like it, we also have to realize a lot of the a lot of the things that pharmacists are tied to in terms of like verifying a prescription, um, you know, it, it's just looking at a pill and making sure a pill matches, you know, matches another picture. That's not something that requires a pharmacist to do. Um, you know, it's helpful they that pharmacy is doing, but, you know, all you need to do is have eyes and know that this one looks like this one. And this one says, you know, 25 and it's a white round capsule. And this one says 25, it's a right round capsule and that can get dispensed. A pharmacist doesn't need to do that. And I think realizing that, and I think, I think corporations are starting to realize that that is in fact true and wanting to expect more from a technician to perform some of these tasks. We're even seeing in some states that the technicians are administering vaccines, you know, and, and that's obviously controversial for a lot of people, but some are welcoming it. Some pharmacists are, are welcoming the help because they're realizing that, you know, a, a trained technician with healthcare experience can probably do that. Um, you know, it doesn't require four years of, of training in pharmacy school to, to need to administer a vaccine. So um, I think that over time, we're going to just see a lot more technicians doing more, um, getting trained more, possibly even getting paid just a a bit more. I think technicians are heavily underpaid um, for the most part, because a lot of times if you ask almost any community pharmacy, the technicians a lot of times are the backbone of their pharmacy. Um, And if you have a technician call out or something or quit, like your pharmacy is going to not do well for quite some time until you can find that technician potentially replaced with someone who's highly trained. So um, I think they're underpaid and, and I think they're going to start getting paid more as their responsibilities get more. Um, but what we're going to see in turn is, unfortunately, is also like less, you know, pharmacists doing less things, potentially getting paid less. And um, there's a lot of di- economical um, economic dynamics that's happening there, especially if you look at the news with Walmart and all that stuff. But that's a whole nother rabbit hole conversation. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think the the key thing is, and we touched upon this earlier, is pharmacists being willing to adapt because it seems like from what you said, the corporations have, and patients would would want this and welcome this. So now pharmacists just need to accept this or adapt to this new role and expand into the field of digital health. Yeah, I and think so. so. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to ask now, in reference to the patients. How practical is it for patients to be able to obtain this type of technology, especially if you're in an in a area where they can't afford it? Because this is now relying on Wi-Fi and cellular data. And I, obviously, as we all know, that's one of the biggest issues with patients is the cost of their medications. So I'm assuming if they're not willing to pay for their medications, they wouldn't even be willing to pay for this. Yeah. So in terms of like digital health and patient engagement, so a, a lot of a lot of companies now are realizing the value in patient engagement and um, 
whether it be because of increasing health literacy, which increases adherence, um, which increases outcomes, uh, companies are realizing that 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 patient engagement is a is a huge um, opportunity for us to do better at and to improve outcomes. So there's companies out there that are purely focused, and we're technically we're one of those companies that we're focused on patient engagement, health literacy. Um, we create the content for it. Now there's companies out there that are that are their main focus is to delivering that that um, technology and and actually create creating the vehicles for these patients to be engaged in um, engaged with the content. And what we're starting to see is is that there are these rural areas that um, patient engagement is is not easy because of connectivity issues. And we're, there's actually some companies out there that are that are realizing there's more value in paying for cellular data for, on an iPad and putting it in a patient's home. Uh, they're realizing that it's more valuable to do that than them not having that in their home. Um, and I think that this is being piloted now. I mean, I don't think this is this is mainstream, but I think that they're they're exploring this. But I think at some point that's going to be a, a normal case. And I think that's going to be mainstream where it's just going to make sense for a health plan to realize that they have a patient in a rural area. It's going to make way more sense for us to pay for the con- connectivity of this patient because it's going to save us you know, a lot of money in the long run because of improved outcomes. Um, so I definitely think that uh, organizations, whether it be health plans or even um, drug companies, because the drug company might sponsor that that iPad that goes into the patient's um, into the patient's home. I think all these companies are realizing the importance and the um, benefits of having a, a connected patient, and at some point they might be covering those costs. Okay, so listening to that, I feel like you are trying to be the you and your company are trying to bridge the gap between pharmacy and patient care that is currently the issue right now in more of a retail setting. Yes. So we, our, our company does serve um, community pharmacies and retail pharmacies, but we also have uh, customers that are health plans, that are health systems and hospitals and mobile applications. So uh, it's, not, it's not our main focus. Um, it, it is def, it is a focus, but we we're really on focus. We're really just mainly focused on providing education and, and a way to educate patients to anyone that has a patient. Um, that is really kind of what um, what our goal is to do. And when you look at a community setting, and even even in a hospital setting, right? When a patient is being discharged, a lot of patient engagement tries to focus education on upon discharge but discharge is like one of the worst times to try to talk to a patient and have them understand you because they're just trying to go home like they they Mm -hmm. they've heard they were that they were being discharged and they are just ready to go back home and Mm -hmm. i think it's just not a great time to really try to hone in all of your you know education and patient materials because it's just not a good time for them now, what our technology helps with is extending that care um, to so the patient can access that on their own time. So instead of you, instead of a pharmacist, you know, which obviously it would be ideal for a patient anytime they have a question to just pick up the phone and call a pharmacist. But if that really starts to happen at scale, it's not going to be sustainable because the patient's going to be on hold, they're going to be frustrated, all kinds of things could potentially happen. But for us to be able to provide this information to them that they can watch on their own time to know that it's trusted, to be able to pause, rewind, and not feel like they're, you know, potentially asking the same thing over and over again. It's very helpful for a patient that got discharged and is now comfortable at home um, wanting to learn more about their medications. Uh, so that's where we think that, you know, we have a role in. And on the same same token, when a patient comes to the community pharmacy to pick up, Nine times out of ten, you ask them if they have any questions. They're going to say they're going to say no. I don't have any questions. I just want to go home because right now this pharmacy is in between either me leaving work to go home or me leaving home to go to work. So I just need you to give me my medications so I can go about my business, right? But nine times mm-hmm. out of ten, they're going to say no. But uh, also, probably eight times out of ten, they're actually going to have a question later on, right? So our technology yeah. also comes into play then where. Uh, if that community pharmacy is, use, is using um, our meds on Q solution um, where we put a QR code on that label, that patient at any time, whenever they want to, can access all the information they need 
um, all the basic information they need about their 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 um, their medication, whether it be the the med guide, the patient edge sheet if they want to read it, or if they want to watch one of our short videos to learn about their medications. Uh, they can do that whenever they'd like to um, on their own time and it'd be trusted information instead of just, you know, trusting some random site on YouTube. That's yeah. a really interesting thought because I'm sure to you, yeah, like on discharge, you know, from, you know, some kind of event and you're the patient, you're probably in that whirlwind state where, like you said, you're just trying to get home and you don't necessarily know what questions you have until you can get back home, get back in somewhat of your normal routine and then you sit down and start looking at, oh, okay, like these new medications, what kind of side effects, like side effects are going on. And, and then you might realize that you have questions you didn't know you had before. So it's really interesting to think about yeah, and then, having the opportunity. And then, they, you know, they, a lot of times too, you want, as a, as a pharmacist, ideally you want to build a relationship with them. Say, look, if you need anything, call me, right? That's like ideal, right? For the pay, for you and, and your patient. But sometimes they are embarrassed to call you or they want it quickly or they don't want to potentially be on hold or listen to, you know, the menu at the beginning of the phone call. So a lot of times it's just helpful for them to to be able to just get that information um, without having to feel uncomfortable as well. So that's another aspect um, to bring up. But Yeah, and to even touch more on the human aspect, I think something that we've learned in our classes, I, I remember Dr. St. Ange when we were talking um, I forget exactly what it was now, but when in one of our classes, she was talking about how a lot of times with a certain condition, patients would Google what to do. I think it was a yeast infection and they would Google, Google like yeah. what to do if you have one. And they would just use these products that don't really help. And this is a safe, proven medical because you're taking obviously your medications and this is a better way for you to go ahead and treat yourself instead of going out and trying to Google and find other options. Because like you said, Sometimes they don't want to ask the pharmacist um, a question in the pharmacy or in the drive-thru, then they'll go home and then they're like, you know what, maybe I don't, I don't want to take this. I don't know if it's a common side effect. So they just feel like this isn't working. And then they'll try some other product that they found on the internet that for some reason they think that's going to work better. And then they're only harming themselves. So I never looked at that aspect. I just wanted to mention, yeah. I think that's very interesting. That is interesting. It definitely Tell seems like the, the transitions of care, which I like, mm -hmm. I think especially in school, we, I think, get that emphasized more in our curriculum, the more and more that we go into it and, and the reminder that it's, it's more the transition as the patient leaves so that we don't end up with the readmission or we don't end up with um, problems that could have been avoided, for sure. Yeah, readmission, re first of all, tell, I don't know if Dr. St. Andrew will remember me, but tell her I said hi because she was there when I was in school. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, readmissions is huge. Um, you know, like it's a huge problem for health systems. And it's also the reason it's a problem, obviously, because, you know, you want people to be healthy when they leave the hospital. But the hospitals also their reimbursement rates go down if their re if their readmission rates are high. So um, that's definitely something that hospitals are trying to always improve. And but I think just, again, back to the point of like understanding, you know. Part of the readmission rates um, are partly a lot because of health literacy and adverse events. But a lot of that is because most of the education is is really pushed to them at discharge and then they never kind of talk to again. And I think without giving them the ability to learn more when the patient has already left the hospital on their own time and giving it into a way that they'll understand instead of giving them, you know, stacks and books of, of papers and information, uh, giving them different methods of understanding their health care, I think, is, is a way to potentially decrease that um, and, and better improve those readmission rates. Definitely. I, I personally think this is awesome what you're doing and how I felt like this was a vision that you had even earlier mentioning how you notice this when you're on rotation um, coming up med with Medvise. So it's like you've always had this vision of helping others and creating an avenue to help the patient on their own time and to make things more convenient and safe for them. So I personally think that this is awesome. Definitely something I would not have thought of. <laughs> so yeah, like you, you bring up a, gr a great point and, and that was a, you know, a very subtle thing that was important to me because it was hard for me to like have to make the decision because I really did have to make the decision. Like if I wanted to come into this role, I probably wouldn't have time to make Medvise and continue that to be successful because the amount of time and effort that that would have taken would have been um, massive. But to realize yeah. that I can, I can have almost the same impact, um, if not much more, much bigger impact with this company um, was a real important decision for me to um, to 
to be okay with it, you know, and to understand that it, it actually fits my exact mission, which was to better help people better understand their medications. Um, so I'm, I'm actually really glad you, you brought up that point because that was actually, while some might see it as subtle, it was actually super important to me and in, in, in my decision making process yeah. to know that this was an okay, um, an okay jump for me. I think it's a great example too of kind of showing students that if there is if there is something that you recognize individually that you'd like yeah. to make a difference in in patients' lives and something that you particularly want to focus on in your career path, that it is possible that you can you know make um, like make this that kind of impression. These are Steve within, Jobs. <laughs> yeah, within your career, um, and that can be a reality. So a lot of great information. And I think what's important too in that is realizing that the more niche you can be and the more focused you can be in your career is probably the better off you'll be. And it's, you know, sometimes that niche can change and that's completely fine. But, you know, for me, it was educating the patient. You know, it was, it was engaging and educating the patient. Now, you, maybe your, your focus is like, I, I really want to help prescribers. I re, like, that's my passion. Like you need to follow that, you know, you, there's going to be a role for you somewhere with that passion. Or maybe your passion is I really want to uh, develop the outcome measures. Like I want to be one to add, you know, a star rating potentially because I know that this metric is important to improving outcomes. And maybe that's your passion or policy. You know, there's so many different ways that you can have an impact on healthcare, And I think the, the best way for you to do that is to figure out what it is and how you would do that specifically and try to narrow that down to a niche, even if it's like kind of what I just spoke about, or maybe even if it's uh, disease specific, like finding that is going to be so like such a benefit to your career because it just helps you hone in and focus and you'll end up finding what you're looking for in the long run. Yeah. And I vividly remember at career day when you spoke you said three questions to ask yourself one was what are you good at what do you like to do and what are you passionate about and that should help guide your decision and what you want to do career-wide yeah boom <laughs> that's it mic um, drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a mic drop moment um all right so first of all thank you so much for being on here we really appreciate it and then please uh at this moment go ahead and plug in all your social medias in your podcast Yes. So if anyone wants to follow or connect with me, um, I'm on any of your favorite social media platforms. Um, I'm even on TikTok now. So um, whoever wants to jump on there and connect. Uh, but Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can search um, RX Radio um, at RX Radio or you can find just search my name, Richard Waith, and you'll be able to find me on there. Um, shoot me a DM if you have any questions or if there's anything I can do to help out with you um, with your career. Um, I do have a book. Uh, it's called First Time Pharmacist. It's mainly around helping people navigate through community pharmacy, um, which is available on Amazon. Uh, the website for RX Radio is www.rxradio.fm. F is in Mary. Uh, sorry, F is in Mary. <laughs> F is in Frank. M is in Mary. It's been a long day. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Fine. so www.rxradio.fm. Um, you can check out the RX Radio website there. Awesome. Thank you so much again for joining us. It was super helpful. Yes, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Capsule Production Podcast. Make sure you tune into our next episode, which will feature Dr. Daniels, the mental health counselor for the College of Pharmacy. With them, we'll be discussing the topic of mental health. <laughs>